There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's Friday afternoon. You know what I mean? It's time to answer your wrestling questions. <laughs> I'm Jim, it never means that on a Friday. <laughs> I'm Michael Sidgwick, and I'm joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflet to answer your wrestling questions. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where in addition to answering your questions, we preview and review Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh! AEW Dynamite, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage. Not a day because it's a bit boring. It will be very, very quickly irrelevant. We review pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and host, again, not today, probably, a roundup of the week. Complete with a bloody good quiz, of course. Oh, Wrestle Culture. They will. They'll do it over there. Are they doing we, a Wrestle Culture? I think they'll do it. Because, like, Phil, Nicholas, and Wilborn are kind of like the Wrestle Culture A team. So getting to do it as the LA team, they can have that one if they're listening. Um, they're not listening. Don't look at me like that. Like they'll probably they'll probably do it over here, and then we'd have to cover it over here. Nobody, you're right about Rampage. Yeah, like, it's this is the least. Like even Tony Khan is competing with Rampage this week. Yeah, no. putting on a better show. Like, even yeah. he is more interested in the Super Kiad. Yeah, um, which we will not be reviewing. So it just feels like uh, yeah. a bit of a waste. The boys over over there have got it all covered. They'll have there it is all covered lots through. and lots and lots and lots of stuff hitting your podcast feeds. Don't be worried. Um, unique set of podcasts. Um, we don't even know what shape. Or or form they are going to take, but they are going to be on your feeds, I believe, um, imminently, if not already, um, either on YouTube or the podcast feed as well. Wilborn got an oh, interview yeah. with the Usos. We've heard it, and it's fantastic. It's brief, but it is fantastic nonetheless. But let's get straight to your questions. We begin with Luke Cullen. Hey, legends, just wondering, what is a wrestling trope you know objectively is bad, but you can't help but really enjoy cheers from the other side of the <laughs> Irish Sea. Oh, nice one, Luke. Luke, I think. Um, other side. Left us a nice five-star review. You did, yeah. well. Thank you very much, Luke. Uh, well, I don't know off the top of my head, but straight away I'm leaping to Fed stuff. Like, there's it's loads. It's always Fed stuff. It's always Fed stuff, isn't it? Like, what's the kind of... Will you go first on this one? Because you're a self-confessed pedant in comparison to me who is far more thicker and patient with... Far the, more thick. Thick. <laughs> With the, with, the, <laughs> with the nonsense of what we watch every week. So I feel like this one would like stick out more to you when you kind of catch yourself going, oh, I love it anyway. I feel like I hate all tropes. <laughs> like literally every single one of them. 
Um, I still enjoy, but it's completely situational. It's star dependent. I still love the giddy thrill of uh, an impromptu match. If I like the people, if I like the stars, like I'll forgive quite a lot of terrible presentation, useless administration of say like an um, postman Pierce when later on he's got to be a credible authority figure. But if the people involved, the people are like, or if I'm there live, I'm a sucker for it. It's like, no way! Them lot, these ones they're talking are going to fight. I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. If I like them. It's rare that I like them because there's not many stars anymore. Not many stars. The whole thing existed because people like them. Like you, those college crowds in like the early 2000s or whatever, The Rock, but he's got his shirt on. He's going to fight in the second hour. Like that was because The Rock was a massive star. That device worked because of the star power. It of did, but now it doesn't anymore. No stars. You know what? I, there's two things I do actually like that you probably could consider tropes, okay? I will always pop an AW, mm. right? Four years in, knowing full well that it is neither big nor clever. I like it when they swear. <laughs> <laughs> I really still like it when they swear in AEW. I just, oh, you can't say that. Yeah. And I wish Wilborn was here because we don't know how to beep. We can't, we can't even give the examples, can we? But, like, I just still really enjoy it in AEW. I know it's a trope. I know it's an easy shortcut. But it gets a pop every single time. <laughs> it does. And I love pops and I love noise. And yeah. I love noise and goddamn pops and wrestling. Like, just this week, Jungle Boy called MGF a narcissistic piece of... And I'm like, yeah, he is. <laughs> you bloody tell him. You get that pop because for a while they were kind of struggling to get it. But you, you got there in the end because you said the SH word. I also like it. And MGF has perfected this. It's his easiest bit. He says it straight away almost every time. And he just calls the audience like poor or thick. Yeah. Or Quickest win. Sort of like root, root one win. insult sort of thing. Root one cheap heat insults. Sports team stuff as well. Yeah. Does it... Has Luke set, like specified if it's got to be a guilty pleasure trope or just a trope? Yeah, no, uh, you know, objectively is bad. Ah, but it's it's not bad, but it's the swearing in AEW is pretty bad. It's pretty lame. Yeah, come on, it's they're chasing the South Park millennial crowd, mm-hmm. and for my sins, I'm kind of part of it. So I know it's bad. I know it's cheap. I know it's lazy. I know it's easy. So all of those things are vaguely synonymous with bad or just not good or like clever but i just like swearing yeah i just like it swearing is good yeah i heard something on the radio the other day that apparently like the average person swears uh nine times a day that doesn't seem enough does it that must be skewed by people that don't swear at yes. all versus the people that swear loads like i think we're considering that like we do two to three podcasts a day that don't have uh, a swearing warning on and wheelbone beeps and things like that like we Knock out probably that many across our podcast coverage a day. Yeah, the one Between time us. we're actually not allowed to swear, we just swear more than nine times. Yeah, we cover it there. Just love swearing in AW. I, I know it's stupid. I know it's lame, but I just can't help myself. I like a stupid, I like a really stupid baby face sometimes. I like it, you know, the one that's going to get turned on, the one that's going to get like a, a sting. Things will always trust his partner yeah. because I'm able to view it through the lens of. The baby, the baby face should be virtuous enough to always trust. Yes. Like, Sting trusts and trusts and trusts. And, like, quite, like you probably got turned by Ric Flair and Lex Luger collectively more times than the rest of us have been betrayed in our lives. Yes. But he trusted them again because he's a good person. Yes. And I like the fundamentally thick baby face continuing to trust. Okay. But that, it is cheesy. It is cheesy. 
Uh, the next question it's comes. Cheesy chips. Great cake. The next question comes from Frasier Cranium. Legend. Mox really praised Marina Shafir's unique potential and said he wanted to encourage AEW talent to work indies to find their USP. A lot like Suzuki's advice, re-standing out and finding out what makes you special, i.e. not being a grey lump of boring smooth trash. Who in AEW could benefit most from that? Thanks, lads, and enjoy Mania. I'll try. I would like to see, um, from a character point of view, Top Flight find a voice that is different to the one they've got currently. The work is apparent uh, in Flashes. I, I, it's, this is not a knock on Darius Martin, but just in Flashes when Dante was in a singles run and he was his game was being elevated from being in there with the likes of Kenny Omega. That's the one that jumps out. But there were others. Like That's not to sort of do Dante Martin down. Um, you saw something that kind of went beyond the mid-card flippy tag magic and with an act like the Young Bucks, completely rewriting the script on how high you can raise your expectations of a tag team like that. I'd like to see what's there, what's under the hood of top flight, because at the moment I am seeing a really cool uh, flippy tag team, and there is a certain, uh, what's the innovation in how high they can fly? Like yeah. I don't mean that in a Michael Scott way, literally, they get so high, that's what their kind of USP is at the moment, but I feel like there's more. I do think that there are bigger stars there in Darius and Dante Martin, and I just I don't see it on... EW television, and I wonder if it's because the roster's so crowded that they're never maybe going to spring above that certain level. Yeah, for my answer to Fraser's que- uh, question, okay, a hook has already figured out his USP. He's already realized what makes him stand out. But paradoxically, he really needs to, in my opinion anyway, for what it's worth, to get more of the basics and more of the muscle memory and just more of the connective tissue that makes a match. You don't want to go to the other end of the extreme. Mm. You don't want to make him wrestle like everybody else, but there has to come a time where, and I don't want to you know, mock the advice and the wisdom of the great Suzuki, but he does have to fill in some of those gaps. Not all of them, but some. I've watched him in like a beatdown when he was in Team Taz, like stamp on people. And he did not look like McFoley when he was doing that. Yeah. He looked like he didn't really know how to do it. Just last week, he had a, well, this week rather, he had a brawl with Ethan Page and it just looked bad. It mm. just did not look particularly good. He didn't look like he was losing himself in it. He didn't look like he was a natural at it. He didn't look like he'd done it anywhere near enough. And I've also seen him when he works matches that are a bit longer, like not the Stokely one. Um, not the absolutely incredible like uh, Fuego um, squash, when he has to go a little bit back and forth with, um, I think there was a zero-hour match against QT Marshall, the name of the pay-per-view escapes me. When he's running the ropes, he just doesn't look right. And he's not like a rope-running wrestler by style, is he? But he should... Like they, have, they all be. should do it. That's yeah, the thing. Like, He's going to have to be at some point. The idea is that Hook cannot work these really cool three-minute squashes forever. At some point, that match length has to go to about eight minutes. And if he's as good as everyone says, and the potential is evidently there, and he's still obviously incredibly young, he's going to have to work 20, 25 minutes at some point. He's going to have mm. to work what looks like a competitive pro wrestling match. And sometimes he's selling, sometimes when he's eating things in the corner, sometimes when he's running the ropes, he just looks incredibly green. So I know this is not exactly what Fraser's talking about, but I do think that Hook could be written out in some way, shape, or form. 
and have a year on excursion where he's going to work a lot in a Japanese promotion and really just get the mechanics, get loose. Um, Maybe he is close to Shafir, where Shafir's obviously got something, but she doesn't have the reps. She doesn't have the confidence that comes with reps to be able to do it. As Moxley said, to wrestle loose. That was the... um, the term he used on the uh, sessions with Rene Paquet. I want Hook to wrestle more loose because I feel like whenever he's pushed out of... He's mastered this brilliant style distinct to himself, but yeah, he needs to be more loose when he's asked to do other things in wrestling because he actually has to at some point. But again, there's really no rush. No rush whatsoever. He's still so young. I have one more on that one. You've reminded me with reps. AEW is such a brilliant thing because this person I've got in mind, they wouldn't have had the kind of platform to show the potential they've got at such an early stage in their career without AW, It's a strange, it's a, strange beast. It's because, a problem and a solution. Yeah, because it's like a, it's a TV show that, uh, a wrestling show that exists in a way that WWE would have almost never given people opportunities that quick or maybe whether it was off buzz or hype or a hunch or whatever it was. AW would sometimes take these chances and that's amazing. But just every now and then, we've seen quite incredible flashes from Anna Jay for her experience level. But what I wouldn't give to see her after a year of reps, almost like wrestling underground. Yeah. Like, and le- not obviously underground because you need the crowds, but realistically, look, as a mostly a mainstream fan, stuff I wouldn't see, just speaking selfishly here. And then suddenly she springs up on these little gifts on Twitter or over a WrestleMania weekend where she's suddenly a buzz generator. And then it's like, whoa, can't sleep on Anna Jay anymore. Yeah. And she's coming back to AEW after a year of doing that. Because when she hits, there's clearly something very special. Somebody has followed the hunch correctly, but if you look at a cage match, it's so small and it's not getting bigger. Like, it's not getting bigger in AEW, yeah. not as big as it needs to be. She's hardly to blame as well for this problem, but when she's wrestling so infrequently, like, it feels like the schedule that she's working, that she'll never shake that kind yeah. of that hesitation. You can see her thought process as she's wrestling, I and mean, that's counterintuitive to how to get people gripped into a match. Uh, Tony Khan has spoken recently, I think it was on the ROH media call ahead of tonight's Super Cad of Honor, that he's really interested in striking up some kind of relationship with stardom. Ah. I think that would do Anna Jay and really a few um, athletes in that women's division, like the world of good. Uh, next question comes from Eric Vasquez. Will this WrestleMania be the closest contender to 17 when all is said and done? To me, it feels very possible. Powers back, Sijin Hump. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eric. You're a legend. Um, maybe, I, a little bit of me, I'm so, so hyped for this WrestleMania, and I sense that's the case with the majority of people, thinks that some of it might underwhelm. Expectations are really, really high, and it then becomes the challenge of, well, like, how do you actually meet those expectations or exceed them? I think certain matches will, but as an experience... Um, what 17, what people forget about 17, and plenty of people... The undercard is crap, and the build was crap. The build was rubbish. Like, the build, so much of the undercard was rubbish. Benoit and Angle was always going to rule, but that was proper, it'll be all right tonight stuff, and it was built on a go-home raw. Like, it, we'd, we'd be criticising that on a podcast now, knowing yeah. that the match would rule on the night. Um, the tag team build f- was underwhelming, and it was like, this again? TLC at SummerSlam was class. The triangle ladder match was class, but we're greedy, and it's the year 2001, and we've had it all twice, so we're bored of it now. A lot of that build, like the Rock and Austin's build, was useless. So they are presenting this 
season finale of the Attitude Era without even, like, we didn't go into it at the time going, well, goodbye to the Attitude Era on Sunday. Nobody knew that. Limp Biscuit did a better job of building the main event than Vince McMahon. 100%. 100%. So I think as amazing as it feels going into this WrestleMania, something on, like, we've said it about the stadium feeling, matches, something on the night might just let you down. It might be surprised we were talking about WrestleMania 19 over the desk this morning. Very much the same sort of feeling where like, how can this card fail? And then it does at the box office. People love it. I think it looks beautiful, but people didn't buy into it on the night. I think this will, I've got a feeling this will rank very highly. I think some of this card is too good to fail, but I don't don't know. This feels like the anticipation is the highest it's been in years for WrestleMania. So I wonder if anything's going to be undone by that. Yeah. I feel like if Devil's Advocate 17's just like invincible, it just Mm. cannot be, it's unbeatable. I think that there's a good chance of it being the second best top to bottom WrestleMania ever. What's your second best? Mine's 24. 24 is really up there for me. I think 38 and 37's night one was special nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and again, that's like a new phenomenon, isn't it? Of how like you can split it into two and get all the good stuff. That's maybe a WWE um, matchmaking or scheduling problem. But night one of 37 and 38 rank incredibly highly for me. Really high. Like Charlotte Ronda isn't terrible, but it's the only stinker on night one from last year. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's always been 24, even though I attended 30. I just wish they'd done. Cena versus Cesaro, accomplishing the same thing that you wanted to do with Cesaro, and then have delay Wyatt Family Shield to mm. 30. You're looking at one of the very best ever, yeah. like a top three. For me, it's 24, and I think there are more parallels between WrestleMania 39 and 24. You've got ridiculous melodrama and totally different, but very ridiculous, very WWE melodrama, Rick and Sean or Dominic and Ray. Yeah. You've got like an incredible celebrity match prospect. Um, You've got like a plunder brawl. You've got this like really epic sort of main event. Um, I just think that it's really got potential to be like a really varied, like modern WWE PG era vibe to it and I think mm. it could be the second best if, if everything hits as it should that's it isn't it yeah it should be the it's, s- it's set up to do that certainly aye they've warranted the hype they've mm. warranted that sort of um, potential hyperbole I'll give them that the next question comes from Matt Reigns hey. well he's going to tell you yes hi Matt Reigns again the number one Cedric mega fan Glad to see all four lads having a blast in LA. <laughs> Since it's WrestleMania season slash weekend, I'm obviously going to talk AEW. Uh, what do you both speculate Tony Khan's huge announcement could be about on Wednesday? Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs> I've got Stax and Wilborn, haven't I? You do, yeah. It's weird, Stax. It's, it's usually... the one thing you kind of master, isn't it, Stax? Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, guys. Like, Wilborn girls are like, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Yeah. He's absolutely useless. But you Fat know, Albert yeah, via Imperial. You should watch or listen to this interview with the Usos. I'm plugging the hell out so of great, that. Man. He's just, he knows exactly how to talk. He's yeah. just absolutely fantastic. Broadcast professional who pretends to be a Italian-American mafioso wrestler. Yes. <laughs> He's got the lot. He's got it's the total lot. package. He's got the lot. Um, Tony D'Angelo, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, colleagues and friends with staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, you know. Just um, clarifying. Yeah. For me, there's two... The date of the London show, mm-hmm. or the like, the advertised launch of the worst kept secret—that is AEW Collusion. <laughs> That's the 
working name this for the Saturday show. Ah, I thought it was just going to be actually called 605. Collision is the name, is it? I think Collision was trademarked. Like everything, sometimes it sucks, then you just get used to it. Eh? The Dolph Ziggler rule. He still sucks. <laughs> no, no, his name still sucks, but he's just like, oh, yeah. somebody says the words Dolph Ziggler. And I don't think he's main event in WrestleMania. No. <laughs> then again, I don't think he was going to wrestle. He was a mid-card, mid-card, big-bumping fetishist. Yes. Very, very small window, which every wrestler has. Where you can ascend to the next level, but his was smaller than I think a lot of people believed. Someone tell me what's an iconic uh, Dolph Ziggler promo. Yeah, other than the one that got memed, it should have been me at the time when he was breaking out. To, like someone, anyone, tell me. Oh no, you missed this one. It was great. Never really had one. And when he was pissed off in that story with Bobby Roode, and he like dressed up as the Ultimate Warrior and Shawn Michaels and stuff. Oh, oh my so you're God. just an entrance, Bobby. I can do an entrance. Cell phones going on it, but yeah, no, a lot. Like, look like an asshole. <laughs> um, so I same by the way, I, it just feels like one of the other collision. Yep, the UK and show is such a strange thing. Like, I don't know if this is how the Yanks would be particularly gotten to if that was the big announcement, yeah. But then, like, I would classify maybe this is a maybe this is a Brits thing, but I would classify. AEW's first ever UK show. WWE promoted Clash at the Castle as a return, you know, from Wembley or 30 years later as a bigger announcement than, say, uh, the recent one about All Access coming soon on TBS. He did that because it was the right place to advertise it because you've got a huge audience. In terms of the AEW experience, I think the UK show is bigger. Like Dynamite in the UK for the first time, pay-per-view, whatever. But that might be a Brit's perspective. Uh, that is definitely a Brit's perspective. But I do think if it's they were saying, oh, a, and it's very, you know, it's very biased. But if they said we've got a huge show coming up mm. in Germany, we might in like a ten thousand seat. So it's not like a forty. I guess like we would probably be like Ugh, the first ever Canadian cool. tour. Good for them. I guess. Was a press release, wasn't it? Rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the one thing though about the announcement, like I think it could do with being that from a optics point of view, because that shoddy little graphic they threw up last year felt. By accident. Like, was it Tony Schiavone on air said, we got really big news about AEW in the UK coming next week. And then it was just that graphic. London, 2023, red phone box. Summer fell through. John Moxley, summer has fallen through. And it's, it, it's by the time the announcement comes on, it's April. It's April 2023. You've got like eight months left to pay that graphic People off. People have booked their summer holidays because they dragged their feet. Yeah. I've booked a summer holiday. I'm going to be devastated mm-hmm. if it falls on there. I don't think you'll be alone. And I don't think they've, like, I don't know. We'll never know about, like, they've done the research. They'll have the numbers, the stats, the, the information. Data. About exactly the scale of the audience and how big they can go oh, for this me? first ever show. But you, I think, are reflective of a lot of people that probably waited and waited and waited and hoped and wished for it, whether it be Craven Cottage or an arena of a similar size, twenty to 30,000 people, and then... Hypothetically, let's just say, well, we've only got this 5,000 capacity building in London. Well, there's, it's a bigger country than London, and there's more than 5,000 people. It's going to scan as a massive setback and a disappointment from what could have been at the initial noises of AEW coming to the UK. So they've not got long left, and they could do with the announcement actually landing as well. Aye. It's annoying that. Because, Pressure on it. Well, it's ridiculous, but I've already booked me holiday because what happens is if you did there too long, it just gets more and more expensive. Yeah. That would just all get off the pot. So, Jesus Christ. I, I hope it's a tour. I know that there's London. Like, come to tune. Gives a tour. Newcastle, Manchester. Like, there's somewhere, like a date in Scotland. 
It's you, that's a, you can't expect them all to like live here. But no. they do house rules. They could just yeah. do yeah. Uh, anyway, take them. Take the piss. <laughs> the NXT, we still talk about it. the NXT 2015 tour is the model, isn't it? Oh. Like four dates that were obviously house shows, but felt special in the run-up to takeover. worked them like house shows. Yeah, if AEW did that, and it was all leading to the dynamite of the pay-per-view taping in, in London, I think everybody would be relevant. The, the revival certainly didn't. That was a TV, not quite takeover level match, but a like hidden gem NXT Gloria's TV main event. Oh, American Alpha. Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, Collision, very quickly. Is that going to be like a WWE main event adjacent thing where am I taking the working title too literally? Will they build just one match and just put it live on the Saturday and then put loads of dark elevation stuff on there? I feel like... It can't just be another rampage. The thing is, I feel like, yet again, we as fans are encouraged to come up with creative solutions to... Things that in TV network land just simply aren't problems. Aye. Like we're the ones saying, this would be fun, something different. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. They're like, we don't want different. We want exactly the same. We want what gets us dynamite. We'll take a smaller version of that on Rampage. Uh, we're all like, yeah, well, Rampage is boring. It sucks. And the network's like, uh, you've, you've given you 50 quid and you've made 100. So now we're going to give you 25. Can you make, make 50? 50 yeah. like it's, it's lame, it's boring, rubbish. But I would take, I would love the one match thing. Yeah. That would be tremendous. Like a tale of the tape, training videos, all that. Something that feels special, makes it feel like a destination. And it ain't going to be that. Sucks ass. This one is from AJ David. The worst main event to an otherwise great pay-per-view. For me, it is uh, Double or Nothing 2021. The feeling of that show was so special that I don't think a diminished return of a main event soured the mood. I was just still so happy that wrestling was back. Mm. Power was back. Yeah. But my God, elements of that show was so special. Like, there was a bit in Omega Cassidy pack where I thought, Kenny Omega's even better than I thought, when it felt like a weird build and a weird match where they were clearly just kind of waiting to do Paige because they wanted to make it as big as possible and they thought, we can sell this pay-per-view on the first one in front of crowd, so we don't need Paige Omega for this. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, three-way feels like you're procrastinating, but a cool way of procrastinating. And then they teased the finish to the first pack Omega match all out 2019 with a brutalizer, but then Kenny Omega just walked backwards and just shoved him out of the ring because yeah. that's the way to do a three way. I just thought that was majestic. Sting was majestic. Debrio was majestic. Page, Cage was unbelievable. Like it was such a cool. Like Moxley Young Box is one of my favorite AW matches ever. That yes. feeling summoned. That work in that match was unbelievable and Moxley then sleep blowing the kisses out to all the tears and then you see that it's still like it's always for me the light still shining through dailies yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the early half of that card like it was magnificent i wish because stadium 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 life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Dump aid 2 just simply wasn't as magical. There were bits where it was actively lame. Mm really contrived i felt like the dissonance between this new live setting and these sort of cinematic pandemic trappings was just too much to bear you needed stadium stampede one you needed everything but stadium stampede yeah. two what i wish they'd done if they had to do that match they didn't have to is i wish they'd started the show not done a pre-show mm. put deeb Riho on second start the entire presentation of the pay-per-view without a pre-show with stadium stampede two said, look, you might get a surprise. Basically, say the quiet part a little bit louder if they're going to come in the ring, guys, but don't expressly say it. And it would have been this wonderful, symbolic thing of all the cinematic action, and then Guevara comes out with Sean Spears, and all the other guys come in, and then Spears and Guevara have that sort of five-minute match within a match in front of a crowd. Like It would have felt like they've worked the pandemic experience, if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense. Um, where I was like, oh, it's cinematic. Oh, I thought it was going to be live. Oh, my God, it's live and the power's back. Yeah. And the power's back for four more great hours, but they didn't do that. Should have. Yeah, should have. I go. I like that. Mine's um, slightly unconventional because it's the Royal Rumble 1995. The Rumble sucks ass. Sean and Davey have to go half an hour instead of an hour because the roster's so thin. And have to rely on, like... Having to call Dick Murdoch up or whatever it is. Um, and it's just... it's. Not a good rumble, and ultimately it's reflective of the roster at the time. But look at the undercard. Razor and Jeff Jarrett for the belt. Brett and Diesel for the belt. Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow versus Kid and Bob Holly. In a oh, my r- God, it's amazing. In a ripper for the belt. Like, such a... It's like new generation out the ass, basically. Like, strong work that nobody wants to buy, ultimately, that nobody cares about, truthfully, beyond a very small and hardcore base. And... The reason for it laid bare in the Rumble, which is just them having no money to pay a stacked and a jacked up roster. It's just, I, I, I love and hate the show because it's, it's sad to see the product that I loved daily as a kid clearly dying on the vine. Like Vince is in trouble. Like yeah. that company is in what trouble. A shit. What a shame. Like that company is dying, but the talent 
deserves the stage that remains to put on the stuff that they're so incredibly gifted at. And I would say that run. But also, though, from a more traditional point of view, I thought Jonathan Gresham versus Bandido last year unifying the Ring of Honor belts was rubbish. And Supercard of Honor was a triumph. It gave everybody the feeling that, ah, oh, Tony Khan, like, of course, Ring of Honor's in good hands with Tony Khan. And the match didn't really, like, the chemistry just wasn't there between the two. Gresham didn't really stand out in this slightly illuminated version of Ring of Honor. And uh, Chavo was so useless that even Bandito didn't want him around yeah. as a manager, which was a nice bit. But why are we still bringing him in in the first yeah, place? Yeah. Just it, like and it, now it could follow Briscoe's FTR, but it was a hot night and that kind of cooled the whole thing. Yeah. So four more left. This one's from Joshua James. Since many questions focus on great wrestlers and great wrestling, I always wanted to know who was on your Mount Rushmore's of boy poppers. Oh, yeah. Which four wrestlers have made you pop the most during your fandom? All the best from Germany. Yeah. Uh, Do they have to be rubbish for this to qualify or not? Not necessarily. Maybe no. a bit of a mix. I've got rotten toothache, like Jesus Christ. Nacken. Nacken. Um, Sid. Yeah. One you for one. ball head a little loaf. <laughs> As he said to uh, Mean Gene Oakland. That was fantastic. So Sid's got to be up there. He's you stupid puke, Hogan. When he knocked a uh, barbershop powder into his face. I don't know... Sh- Cry, baby. <laughs> He's amazing. Uh, I've always been a Luke Gallows apologist. Yeah. Ooh. I'm a great Carly guy. Unashamedly so. He makes me laugh. He's just a like, great guy. Isn't he? And like, there's that story that Jericho was telling about the, the Big Show fight that we were um, reliving in the office recently and how like Big Show was sick of great Carly pretending that like he couldn't understand him. He would, like, subjectively, like, dip out of under. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, big man. Don't give me that. You're stealing my spots. That's really funny. Like, <laughs> big, great Carly sailing through life, like, where nobody his side, he can do whatever he wants, and then he tries it on the one guy. Like, that's funny to me as well, that the one guy that's the same size as you, well, I'll just do my usual tricks. Nobody can stop me normally. I, I love that. British Bulldog. Yeah. It's charmingly rubbish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't finish a promo. Just like, can never nail them. <laughs> he wasn't my car. <laughs> that clip, we'll put over the Andrew Dice clip on Twitter now because he unearthed that, didn't he, on his tremendous Hidden Gems YouTube channel. He is great for your Bulldog content. Oh, he's amazing. Isn't Did it? you see the one he uploaded from, it was the, um, in your house, uh, it was from April, Cold Day in Hell it would have been, I think, Cold Day in Hell 97, or maybe the one before that, from 97, where the Bulldog and Owen are going to defend the tag titles on the show. And it's the um, Todd Pettengale pre-show Carnival Barker type thing. Bulldog's just got to finish with four minutes. And we'll see you tonight. The Heart Foundation are going to kill the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> there's a one, there's a YouTube video. Um, I'm going to butcher this. I think the title's something along the lines of British Bulldog arrives in WWW, WWF and automatically thinks he's superstar Billy Graham. And he's doing the whole um, Muhammad Ali bit. Yeah. The British Bulldog. I'm going to make your back crack, your liver quiver, and your knees freeze. And when he <laughs> says knees freeze, he's chuffed with himself that he's actually completed a thought. Stuck the it's landing. amazing. The bulldog said Luke Gallows, slicking his biceps. Yeah. The most hyperactive suckets in the face of John Silver. Speaking of licking biceps, problematic in places, but there was a lot to like about uh, Too Sexy Brian Christopher. At his absolute worst. Oh that my screeching God. laugh he would do, which existed so that you could all be like, oh, he's a lawless kid. 
Yeah. Like, this is undeniable. Like, look at them and then listen to him doing that squeal. But, like, he was so funny was with it sometimes. So obnoxious. Yeah. Like, he's not just, like, kissing the biceps. He's fully netting on with it. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And, like, he's a light heavyweight. He's a cruiserweight. But I brought that, like, Memphis heel charm. I hate, well, I hate the guy. I think the guy's a joke. Not the really horrible things, but there are certain things that uh, Bully Ray used to say. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Your mother was a cook. <laughs> okay, okay, like twenty percent of the time. Yeah, like l- maybe even twelve. Aye, maybe even twelve. Uh, the next one is from Ash Brown. If you could do your job at any point in wrestling history, preview, review, analyze, what era and promotion would it be and why? Me personally, I would have loved the Dudley Boys podcast, huh? From New Japan, from Wrestle Kingdom 11 to Dominion 2018. Oh, my God. I would love that as well. Uh, I think we just, I don't know if there was a market for it or what, but it just never really happened. For me, hand on heart, I love the era that I'm in. I found it a privilege to, in good faith, and hold to the biggest standard possible cover AEW like this. So they debuted with one of the biggest arena shows of the century. Like It's just so fascinating to chart something like this. And I've absolutely loved it. At its very best, AEW is a masterpiece factory that should be an oxymoron. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to just do a production line of masterpiece content. That's not really how it works, mm. but that's how good they are at their absolute peak. And I've loved, because I've said this story before, but I started at What Culture full-time, having worked for free online for years, having gotten to a magazine that folded, and I thought it just wasn't going to happen. And then when I got to walk culture and I got the dream job that I didn't even think would be a job. Yep. Not not even worth dreaming about because, you know, it was just quite... My wife was worried for the first month or so that this was going to be a permanent mortgage payer. It was like, are you sure this is definitely for real? I was like, I know. I, I, know, keep, I, I, know. Keep, I keep rereading the contract yeah, yeah. myself. <laughs> but it's happening. And I thought, oh, the one thing that would be cool is if I actually liked the Fed. <laughs> because by 2016, like I, you kind of knew that it was just off the boil... Never the same after the year 2000. But it was just a thing that was always there. Mm-hmm. And you just liked it or you didn't like it. But it was a constant in your life. And you thought, you know what? They can't deny someone like CM Punk. Or they can't deny someone like Brian Danielson for this long. And then by the early 2010s, I was like, well, no, they have denied it. And it's never going to change. And I kind of hate it. Like, all the tropes are just getting more and more, like, stale, like an odor. I, was just, I can't <laughs> like this. It's bad. So by 2016, I was like, they've lost their ability to con slash work me. Mm. I don't like what this is. Wouldn't it be good if the wrestling was better? But it's still a ridiculous dream job. Love it. Appreciate it. And then AEW started to happen. Then it started to take form and all in. And New Japan was great. And I just, I love that I've entered at the worst point in my fandom. And then rediscovered my actual love of wrestling when I've had this job that I'll love more than anything else I'll ever do. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I know it's like a boring answer. I have the same thing, but I do agree, if for slightly different reasons. Um, not least because, like, the Fed's class and the power's back, but also because... Imagine you saying that in 2017. Yeah, like, you couldn't. You just thought it was dead forever. Yeah, I, I can like this thing that is objectively rubbish. It's basically what you were left with as a WWE fan, or at least... You used w- to have this thing where I just, like, I know it's rubbish, but I like to see people I like having a good day at work. Yeah, if there's a wrestler I liked, I'm going to just imagine that they might have a nice trajectory or a great match or a good time. 
Get that, get that one week of Raw right. Good You're for them. You're bargaining. You're always, yeah, always. bargaining yeah. with the WWE. We used to talk about Kevin and Sammy gaming the system. Why was there a system to game? Couldn't you just be good? I Couldn't you just be good? I honestly thought the idea of something like AEW happening was legitimately more likely than WWE rediscovering an engaged audience that liked it for what it was. Yeah, then. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. My, my thing with this current period that we're in was that, you know, like, we were, we were raised sort of on wrestling having certain rules and conventions, and then the first, I don't know what the one for you would be, but the first, like, you know, the never say never cliche, the one for me was Eric Bischoff joining WWE, and then that was, like, used as a, it's like Sky using the Aguero goal footage to tell you that the Premier League is always going to be great when it's not. The Eric Bischoff handshake with Vincent Mann was like, see, it's still wild and wacky and never say never because we've got Bischoff. Anything can happen in all Russian Federation. Anything can happen and never say never. But, like, you could say it most of the time yeah, for, like, yeah. 20 years. You really could. And then something definitely happened, I feel, around, probably around 2015 for me because I would say it was when Triple H was watching his PWG tapes. Yeah. And when even me, somebody that is just not ultimately not that um like predisposed to go in and reaching beyond the mainstream or the level below the mainstream. Like I would consider ECW mainstream, but you know like anything below that. Yeah. I'm just not typically gonna like really reach that far for it. But like New Japan was just clearly becoming the product to watch that you had to go and search it out and you had to go and know who Kenny Omega and Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchi Ricardo was because I, I can't keep seeing these names. And all of these people cannot be wrong. And all these critics I respect and all of that, all that coverage cannot be wrong. So suddenly there's that. Suddenly there's NXT. And just reimagining how WWE can be done under like Triple H basically being given freedom to roam pretty much away from the main roster. That was this new Never Say Never. And it's like, now it looks like really wanky. But that picture of Triple H with, is it Finn and Kevin and Sammy and Kenta maybe? Aye. And they're all doing the little Bullet Club fingers thing. And you're like, wow, like, Never Say Never. This is weird. Aye. This looks Weird, yeah. and then loads of them getting called up to WWE, and obviously then at this point you've got this in, this thriving indie scene, and the UK indie scene thriving at all rather than being the grim, dimly lit social clubs. Yeah, like it's how's this how's this actually happened? So I love that wrestling has actually brought the never saying everything back. Nothing's off the table anymore. Look, we're, we're recording this two days away from Cody Rhodes fighting Roman Reigns for the world title in 2023. Somebody tweeted. The other day, like a retweet of somebody tweeting in 2019, Cody will be fighting for the t- WWE title in 2023. You know, one of them lucky predictions yeah, yeah. that you make, a stupid one. But you wouldn't have said it in 2019. You wouldn't. But here we are now. Like, it winds you up no end. I know it does when I'm like, I kind of want to look at the elite in WWE. Shut up, man. But the reason I want to look at it is because I've been given enough evidence to suggest there's like this 1% chance it might happen. Yeah. And I just don't think we were there in the mid 2000s. Yeah. There was no chance of out. Like, eat your gruel. Eat your gruel, and then once or twice a year, we'll like we'll make the gruel look quite nice at WrestleMania. Will people get some flashy outfits to eat the gruel in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll take that then. It's just great to be a fan now. It's a good time to be a wrestling fan. It actually happened. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan. I hated that in 2021 when like the crowds came back because the power didn't. AW was just awesome. Yeah, I was watching like Roman Reigns versus frigging Edge. It was John Cena. That was boring. It's Brock Lesnar. That was boring too. This Roman Reigns title run's gone off a cliff. AW's good. It's a great time, Hamlet, to be it's a wrestling It fan. is. It really is. Penultimate question comes from C. Guy Griffith. Uh, good day, friends across the pond. This has been plaguing me for years. Can you please explain to me why the invisible barrier exists in WWE? Uh, because it's not a wrestling-centric product. They have a team of writers that 
have to be able to write something and they just like to volley stuff. I think it's just to... It's a contrivance and it exists to facilitate the way that WWE tells their stories. And if this invisible barrier was broken, they wouldn't be able to tell their stories the way they like to tell them, which is to just repeat the premise of the feud to one another across an invisible wall. I personally find it terrible, but it works for them. Very big still. One of my favorite periods of WWE is the... um, it's so like Nash was the first one to talk about the corporate suits the night after he loses the title in 95. And then about a year later, you've got... Well, actually, he smashes the coffin up and he drags the camera backstage when he's feuding with The Undertaker. And then you've got Steve Austin going to Brian Pillman's home and all these. These things, Scandas transgressions, a look inside the locker room. A wrestler would drag a camera backstage to do something backstage. But he would... Like, there were transgressions because you just didn't see them. Visually, it was bizarre. But WWE forgot very soon after that, because they were kind of successful in critical circles, they forgot that you were supposed to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. So Steve Austin goes to Brian Pillman's home to attack him, and Brian, Brian Pillman pulls a gun on him, and has people set in his garden to try and attack Austin first. That's preposterous on paper, right? But Kevin Kelly is at the Pillman home because Steve Austin has threatened to go there, and Pillman is recovering from injury. There is a reporter on scene. Yeah, We are seeing this because we're not seeing Austin in the car, Austin rings into Raw to say that he's in the car on the way to Pillman's home, and Vince is, oh, no, you're yeah. going... Like, but my cameras are there. They're going to catch you attacking him. That makes complete sense. So you're saying the Fed forgot to be good? Yeah. They just forgot that, like, you had to apply the few basic rules to it. Russo was right to try that stuff, but then once he started doing it... I, do you, you must remember that. You must remember that feeling, like, did you see the rest in the locker room? Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember that, and it was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to, like, try and catch another glimpse of that. Or, like, Raw Magazine loved focusing on the fact that it happened. Razor and Gold just had a brawl in the snow, and they showed the pictures. Like, they're outside. <laughs> Razor's in a leather jacket and his jeans. Goldust was in his tights. They look weird. But, like, that, that sort of stuff did make sense as, a, like, blurring the lines between reality and fiction and stuff like that, but they just completely forgot the rules. Yeah, because they're useless. Fundamentally. Power isn't back. Uh, final question comes from Ken. Jin Kenshin, or Jin Kenshin, I, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that one million ways, but a regular contributor to the to the good discourse yeah, of the I like Ken's contributions. culture wrestling podcast. Everybody community. we've had on here pretty much today, bar one obvious exception, is like a Who? regular regular name. I, uh, I've forgotten his name already, Rat something. Uh, it, it's a rubbish question. But like, it wasn't even a rubbish question, it's just that the tone of the tweet was a bit off. Like, sounds like a guy that'd be terrible at basketball. Nice. I think, I think it'd be like the next LeBron James. <laughs> basketball, Ken, basketball. Ken says, hello. Good, pi- good pint picks. Hello, gents. <laughs> Hope you have a lovely Friday. My question is, for Battle Royals, Rumbles, what makes a great start and middle in these matches when there's a lot of people packed in? Or is it the quality of the match determined by the last two to four people left? It's a fundamentally incredible story, drama facilitator that's also fundamentally flawed because the middle, you know, you, you can't get excited about the start. You're in, there's no anticipation anymore. Well, there is. There's anticipation for every entrance, but you're in it. You know you're far away from the finish. The novelty's worn off, and everyone who's in there is probably not going to win. For this reason, I've long campaigned, and I think it was brought into focus this year in particular because it was the first non-Vince Rumble, and he thought, oh, maybe this could be just an incredible Rumble. Yeah. And I know a lot of people liked it, but my God, I think the Royal Rumble match needs a pretty dramatic overhaul. It doesn't, 
because it's hugely popular. <laughs> it sells out stadiums. It's timeless. I personally just don't enjoy it that much. They should, they should change it as a result. <laughs> I know I just feel like you still get too many spots that um, make it feel like it's Hillbilly Jim trying to eliminate Big John Stud. Like, of course, he's going to struggle and toil to get this like Leviathan of a bloke over the top rope. Yeah, Everyone's much smaller and more dynamic and better at wrestling now. I feel like it should be shorter. You're asking for Kenny Omega to book a Royal Rumble. Yeah, it should be Which shorter. I, do you know what? There's a, there was one Royal Rumble, and it was the 40-man one. So I think this is why they did it, but they should be moved to try this in the 30-man ones as well. And this is going to sound like a terrible example, but it's not the people involved. It's the idea and the principle thinking behind it. In the 40-man rumble, halfway through, which obviously now because it's bigger, there's more people to come out. It was risible nonsense WWE comedy. But do you remember like John Cena and Hornswoggle kind of unexpectedly being in a position to team up? And people would come in and be like, well, I didn't expect my Royal Rumble was going to have to be dealing with the unique offering of John Cena and Hornswoggle yeah. together. That sounds lame, and it scanned as pretty lame on the night. But it was very, very different. And it was like they realized they needed an extra chapter or an extra act or something. Ah, yeah. oh, 40. We've never had to deal with this before. Well, Cena and Hornswoggle can get you three or four different eliminations. Cena teaching Hornswoggle to do the uh, attitude adjustment on Tyson Kidd, I think it was. Yeah. It's like this is a little stupid. It's stupid. It's, it's, I'm not asking for that. But like you're watching this like mini movie in the middle of a rumble that they felt they had to do because the match itself was stretched out. I think there's a place for that in. Like in the in the rumble now, this year is something I really liked because you did have it's stories. To Ken's point, it's it's all about stories. You need stories at the beginning, stories at the middle, and stories at the end. It's not about the bodies you're throwing out there, but it feels like we're missing one as yet undiscovered device that's just slightly unique. Um, Punk, people still talk about it now. Punk trying to hold a sermon in between people coming out. He was yeah. given a, he was given a diesel run, and we've seen a million of them. And it's like, right, well, how can I make the diesel run fresh again? So he's going to continue to cut one continuous promo. That's a way you take an old trope and you make it brand new. I just feel like there's a mid-match one that hasn't yet been tinkered with quite enough that yeah. is right in front of us and we just haven't seen it. Like, it takes the right character, doesn't it? Um, who was the one a few years ago? Was it Heath Slater that couldn't even get in the ring? Everyone kept knocking and him then out. He, and, and then he did, Sheamus. and Sheamus. Like, one of them. That, coincidentally, was the best one of the modern era, I think, 2018. Fantastic. Oh, it was class. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Really Thank you very much for all of your questions. Apologies if yours didn't get read out. We only had a finite amount of time to do this, but hopefully next time we'll be able to do it. Um, again, yeah, we've got a very different um, schedule for the pods um, this weekend, so keep your ears and your mind open <laughs> for a bit of change. Uh, once again, thank you to everyone who contributed. Thank you very much to everyone who listened. We, again, re- Always close these out by saying thank you for letting us spend um, part of uh, your day with us. And until then, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. That's YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. Remember always that Adam Wilborn is a goddamn pro. <laughs> thank you, and we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.